was talking about, the author was asking this question, and she was asking if you could use one word to describe something you want more of in your life, what would it be? And this is in the context of the workplace. Um, so love didn't make it onto the list, although I would imagine that would in, in a sort of more general uh, survey. But it's interesting some of the results that came through. People were talking about what is it that they wanted more of in their life. Um, no, I might just have Evelyn take or I can I can I can do that. Bring bring to me. Bring to me. This is this is my clicker. It gives me all the power and control over the slides. Thank you, Minion. <laughs> all right. So um, this the survey, it's interesting the results that came through, the things that people wanted more of in their life. Of the eight things, number six was peace. Number four was joy. And number one was happiness. Do you see a, do you see a pattern sort of coming through there? You see this idea that people are looking for happiness, peace, joy, the very similar adjectives for what they want in their lives. See, I think we live in such a tumultuous, yeah, nice word, a very tumultuous, very chaotic world. And in our lives, we have so much emotional agitation, if I can use that phrase as well, emotional agitation that we just craving the sense of peace, the sense of stillness, the sense of happiness, contentment, joy. Is that the story of your life? Do you, do you find that, that you want those things? Maybe you don't. Hey, or maybe you want a little more excitement in your life. I don't know. But for me, I'm looking for a little bit of peace, and I find that is my story. So with that as sort of context, I wanted to jump into the next passage in the book of Romans, and it comes to chapter 5. And so the very first word of chapter 5 is therefore. And my professor always said, if you see a therefore in Scripture, you've got to ask, what is it therefore? <laughs> see what I did there? Okay, so basically the point's back, and he says, because of everything that has been written so far, which is the first four chapters of Romans, which we've been covering, if you have missed any of the things that we've been talking about over the last four weeks or so, you can jump on our website and uh, look at the teaching podcast and you can just go through it there. There's even one of them is even a video. So, hey, lucky you. So um, you can look at that. But he's saying, therefore, since we have been justified. Oh, let me put this up here so you can see it. Nope. Wrong direction. Ah, you may need to because this thing is just not great. Anyway, so therefore, since we have been justified or made right with God, through faith or trust, as opposed to through our own efforts, which is what the previous four chapters have been talking about. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that nice? We have peace with God, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And he says, and now we boast... Or many translations say rejoice. We take joy in the hope of the glory of God. And then he carries on. He says, not only so, but we also glory, which is a similar word, rejoice, take joy and relish in our sufferings. 
which might seem a little counterintuitive, because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, which is a very interesting sort of idea. The, we, we relish the sufferings, the, the things that are going wrong in our lives, and we're not just talking about, you know, I stub my toe on the coffee table sort of stuff, but I mean, Paul is talking to people who are currently or going to face some very heavy persecution from the, from the um, Roman leadership. They're going to be dragged off and killed. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be ostracized. These are real sufferings. And yet Paul is saying, no, we relish those things because they develop perseverance. This idea of stamina. When we, when we suffer through something and we do so in faith, we develop the strength against it. We develop this perseverance like we can make it through. It's like running. You run and you develop stamina through running. Or so I've been told. I, I don't really know this for sure. but And so we have this perseverance, and that perseverance develops this character, which is an interesting word. It's not just good character, but it's this idea that we've developed a character that has been built out of the flames. And we have been built up and strengthened in such a way that can only happen through suffering. It's like a nugget of gold that has had all of the impurities and other metals and mud and all of that sort of stuff burnt off by the fire. The quality of that gold afterwards is so much stronger. Or maybe think of in human terms like a, like a, a battle-tested veteran soldier who's been through the battle and now understands the war better than anybody else ever could. Does that make sense? That is what we get. That's what perseverance builds in us, is this character, this understanding that God can come through, this proof that He is strong enough to bring us through. And that proof develops hope again. And so we circle around back around to hope. And it says, nope. I probably skipped that one. Well, he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. This is what he's saying. He's saying we have hope in the future that what God has started through Jesus, He's going to finish. He is going to fix everything. He is going to right all of the wrongs. He is going to come back and bring us into heaven or paradise or this, this eternal life with Him, right? And that is our hope, right? That is what we hope in, that the hope for the future is that He will get us through this life and He will come back and bring us to Him for eternity. And that hope does not put us to shame. It does not let us down. We're not disappointed in that hope because God is not doing what He is doing out of obligation. He's not doing it because He has a checklist of things that He has to do to complete His homework and He's got to finish this and then He's got to come back and He's got to rescue us and blah, blah, blah. No, He's doing this out of love. He genuinely loves you. He cares about you. He wants the best for you. Therefore, why would he not finish the job? 
Why would he not come back? Why would he not give us everything? In fact, later on he says, since we've now been justified by his blood, this is verse 9. Oh my goodness. Yeah, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's interesting, and right before that, he's even giving us this example of his love. He's saying, all right, just at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, which would be anyone who is not part of his family. Now, very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, right? Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this is the demonstration of his love. The, the uh, intermediates are doing this sort of activity out in the, in the hallway at the moment uh, where they're kind of getting a list of different people, like maybe your parents or like a husband or wife or a son or daughter or best friend or maybe a celebrity, um, you know, maybe a sports figure. And then they've got like just some random person. And, and then they've got someone like Adolf Hitler, right? And so you've got to rank all of these people of most important to you to least important to you, right? And then you sort of draw this line at which point up and down that list would you really honestly be willing to give your life? Now, as a parent, I'd like to think I'd give my life for my kids, right? We probably want to tick that box, even if we're not sure how that would play out. We're going to say that, we do, you know. I'd love to give my life for my wife. She deserves it. She probably want to take it, actually. That's, that's probably more the case. But, but you go down the list, and it's like, yeah, I'd maybe I'd be willing to die for this person. Maybe, you know, if it was a big celebrity and it was kind of a big deal, you know, I'd like, oh, I'd give my life for sacrifice. But as you get further down the list, you're kind of like, well, would I give my life for a stranger? Like someone I don't even know? You know, maybe, maybe I'd like to think I would. And then you go down the bottom, and there's Adolf Hitler, you know. Or there's that guy at school who used to, like, tease you and make fun of you and that stuff. And you're like, would I die for that person? <laughs> like, let's be honest. Probably not. And yet this is what Jesus says. This is what God says. When you were Adolf Hitler to me, okay, and obviously we weren't Adolf Hitler. He did some really horrible things. But at the same time, we were enemies of God. When you were my enemy, when you rebelled against me, when you said, God, smart, I'm not interested, when you spat in his face, when you were not interested in doing anything related to him, then he died for you. That was the moment that he gave up his life so that you could have it. He didn't wait for us to come running to him, throw ourselves at his feet and go, Lord, we need you. I am a sinner. Save me, please. He didn't go, okay, well, I guess now I will go to the cross and, and I will pay for your sins. He didn't wait for us. He went first. So if that is the kind of love that he has for us, why would we not trust that he finishes the job? Of course he would. If he gave us this, why would he not give us everything else? And so we have this beautiful passage here, and it finishes with this. Not only this, but we also boast, we also rejoice, we take joy in God himself through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are right now, as of this moment, if we have chosen 
to follow Jesus. If we have accepted what he has done for us, right now we are reconciled to God, which means he is right now with us. That's this beautiful passage that he's saying. This is what it means for what Jesus did. All right, how are you, how are you feeling about that? Good. Now, maybe you're like, this is awesome, man. I am just, I'm just revved up about this. I'm excited. I'm ready for the next worship song. Let's just get right back into worship. But I'm guessing, based on the general lullness of the congregation right now, and I get that, is most of us, well, we've kind of heard this before, haven't we? We've heard this. You know, and, and I mean, sure, it's true, right? I get it. It's, it's not false. It just doesn't really seem to move the needle. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really seem to, yeah, get us going. We're sort of still searching for something else. We're still searching for this feeling of peace, right? Like we've been promised peace and, and we still are not there somehow. We just still feel like something is missing. Maybe that's your story. I know oftentimes it's mine. But what's the deal here? I mean, we have this, this statement of fact that, that, that God has given us. He says, we have peace with God. We have, we do rejoice in all of these things. We boast in the hope that we're going to have in the future. We boast in our sufferings because it's going to, it's going to give us something stronger. And we, we do rejoice in God. And yet sometimes the reality of our life experience is that we just don't. We're not taking joy in that. There is no emotional push, is there? I want to zero in on this. There's a couple of words in here. It's in verse 2, but it's, it's kind of repeated a few times. And I'm hoping this might unlock something of what is going on with us. It's these words we boast. Now, the NIV, which is one translation of the Bible, says we boast. Other translations, we rejoice. And there's a lot of different words. And it's very interesting because boast and rejoice seem like fundamentally different words, don't they? You know, it's like rejoice is like, yes, okay, I love this thing. I am gaining happiness from this thing. This thing gives me smiles. I get the feels from this, right? That is what rejoicing is, and we, we struggle with that. And I think that's because we're misunderstanding something about the emotional connection between what is going on here. Now, I may be stepping aside here a little bit, but I am indebted to a man named Richard Rohr. He's, he's a, a writer and author, and he, he talks about emotional sobriety, and he talks about a lot of this emotional type thing. And he says, and he's very, very, very clear, because in our world, we have become much more aware of the emotional impact of things, haven't we? Like, we're much more aware of the emotional side of the story you know we're not all stoic and it's just about the facts ma'am it's it's now we understand that there is an emotional side of things and so now in our culture in our society we are searching constantly searching out for happiness that number one thing and there's this emotional feeling of everything is good right does that make sense and so we're, we're sort of we're sort of focused on the emotion of something 
And what Richard Rohr is saying is that the problem with emotions, emotions are fantastic. We need them. They are so important. They are like a barometer of what is going on. It helps us understand where we are at. gives us a sense of how we are interacting with the world around us. But they aren't always determiners of reality. And this is the problem because sometimes we feel like that what we feel is what is. Does that make sense? What we feel is what is. That's the way we often approach this. And he's saying, actually, sometimes our emotions are based around what's going on with us. The center point of emotions is often ourselves instead of an objective reality. So, is emotions bad? No. But there is something, and it's reflected in this word, that there needs to be something more. So this, what I like about this word, boast, it's not just rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, although it is not less than that. It is more, it is a statement of confidence. I have confidence that this is going to take me through. I stick my flag in this. This is what is going to get me through. You can hear there's an emotional element to that. That brings joy. There's an element of joy in there, but it's also a confidence that no matter how I feel, this is going to be good enough. And we do this. We constantly have things that we are confident in, that we boast in. We boast in our financial situation often. We boast in our job, our career. We boast in the person that we with. I often boast in my wife, Molly, because I know that when she is around me, I am so much better and I can deal with so much more, you know, and every time I work with her or I'm with her, it's like, this will be fine. And, and I get anxious or I get, I get like, I don't know how I'm going to do something. And then she's right there and everything just calms down. I'm like, yes, we're going to be fine. That's that. I boast in that relationship because it is strengthening to me. And God is saying we boast not in the things of this world, although those things are good, but ultimately we boast in the hope of the glory of God because that is based on something far more powerful, far more long-standing, far more reliable than even the closest person in our lives. Yeah? Even the person, even Molly, she's not here, even Molly can let me down sometimes. Not very often, usually the other way around. But even she can let me down sometimes. If I put all my hope in her, if all of my confidence is in her, and she has a bad day, or she has a bad week, where am I? Paul is telling us our confidence is in God. Our confidence is in our sufferings. Because God is in that place. There's a song, we're actually going to sing it next week, about another one in the fire, and it's talking about how God is with us in our sufferings, building us, strengthening us, taking us to a stronger place. And we boast, we have confidence in who God is. Right now, reconciled with us, living with us. But there's another aspect to this. And I find this very, very interesting. The words we boast, 
is written in a certain way. It's like a statement of fact. But in many manuscripts, it is literally, let us boast. Let us boast. And I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both end. There is a, it's a statement of reality. God is who he is. We can trust in that. But it's also an invitation. It's an invitation to accept that this reality is reality. It's an invitation to accept that this reality is reality. It's an invitation to say that my emotions are up here and down here, but here is something that I choose to trust. I choose to boast, to put my confidence in him. I choose to do this. And do you know what happens is our emotions follow along. It takes a little while to catch up, but they get there and they catch up. Now, caveat. There are some things that happen in our lives that are more complicated and more difficult to deal with than just I choose to ignore my emotions and I choose to come over here. And I recognize that. There are things, difficulties in our past that have created such a mountain of emotional chaos in our lives that it is going to take more than just our own effort to plow through that. For you, I urge you to seek help for that. And there's three things that we can do. In fact, one of them is sitting over here. Skylar is going to talk about Celebrate Recovery, which is a beautiful example of ways, of, of a place and a community, and I don't want to speak for him, but a place where you can get that kind of help to work through some of these things. There is professional counselors, people whose job and training and gifting from God is to work through those things with you. And there is a church community you're sitting in right now who can come alongside you and help process things with you. So yeah, choosing is not just a one-time thing. Choosing to boast in God is an ongoing journey, but it can happen. It's just a matter of perspective. It's a matter of shifting our focus, turning our attention turning our attention away from the things that have created a fog in our lives, things that have distracted us, things that are important but have taken too much importance in our lives, things like our career, things like our relationships, things like um, the bank account that we have, all of these things, fill in the blank. Good things, necessarily. Needed things, important things. But they've taken the place of highest importance, and they've taken control of our focus and our attention. And they've kind of created a, a trap for us that we feel like we have to get this sorted in order to survive, in order to, to, to exist, in order to make it. And so that's what we're boasting in those things. We're putting our confidence in them. But if we shift our focus on to Jesus... You know, he says, if you seek him and his kingdom first, all of this other stuff will take care of itself. He will, he'll take care of it for us. We'll have what we need. Maybe not what we want, <laughs> but we'll have what we need. And he'll put the people around us. But if we just put our eyes on him, 
It's a very cool song, kind of an old school song. We grew up singing, if, if you grew up in church. He says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we put our focus on him, everything else starts to fade away. And he becomes everything that we need. Let me pray. Lord, I just, I know this is easy for me to say. It's easy for me to sit up front and to talk about this. But you know in my life too, Lord, you know the difficulty, the, the warring in my soul between believing and wanting to believe and, and not feeling it. And, and, and because I don't feel it or I feel down or whatever, it just, it just sort of, it's hard to hold on. Lord, just ask that you to help us stay focused on you. That when we put our focus on, on what you have done, how you have rescued us, how you have lifted us up, how you live inside of us, how you work even through suffering to build us stronger and stronger. Help that to build our sense of confidence in you and that our emotional chaos will start to dissipate. And that we'll find that ever-elusive, that ever-seeking peace. Lord, if we don't feel it, help that not to dissuade us from trusting in you anyway. To have the perspective that I may deal with 80 years of rubbish, but you are giving me an eternity of absolute, unconditional joy. Because of you, we can make it. And we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.